This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Today's episode is an interview I did on the Free Cities podcast. A really cool new podcast. Their theme is Moving from Force to Freedom. Our focus is Our focus is real-life examples of decentralization and market alternatives to problems. Absolutely love it. Instead of complaining about what's wrong, let's build alternatives to it. So I was on episode five of the Free Cities podcast. You can go to freecitiespodcast.com to check it out. And I am sharing it here with you today. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Free Cities Podcast. Our guest today is Isaac Morehouse. Isaac is the founder and CEO of Praxis, an intensive one-year program combining real-world business experience with personal coaching, professional development projects, and interdisciplinary education for those who want more than college. Isaac previously worked at the Institute for Humane Studies, where he directed educational programs. Prior to IHS, Isaac was at the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, where he created and directed Students for a Free Economy. He's been involved in a number of businesses and nonprofit startups and loves connecting people and helping them discover and realize their dreams. Isaac is also the host of the Isaac Morehouse podcast, and he blogs over at the Isaac Morehouse website, which I will link to in the show notes. Isaac, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, thanks, Anthony. I appreciate it. You, uh, you got the the Mackinac Center pronunciation correct, which is, which is pretty rare. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I'm actually uh, I'm a pretty big Johnny Cash fan, and uh, I think he says Mackinac in one of the um, one of his songs. I did so. not know that. I, I love Johnny Cash. I mean, I'm a casual fan, but uh, I did not know that. I mean, I'm being from Michigan. You know, we all we all know Mackinac, but uh, m- most of the the Ferners, you know, they don't know how to how to pronounce it. So, well done, well done. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that compliment. Um, yeah, please fill in any gaps that I had from that intro and then tell us a little bit about Praxis and how you came to start the company. Absolutely. Um, that, was a good, that was a good intro. I, f- I feel like when you were reading it off, it was like, man, my name was repeated so many. Isaac Morehouse.com. Yeah, Isaac, Morehouse. <laughs> Isaac Morehouse is a well-known narcissist. Um, <laughs> no, no, no gaps. So Praxis is uh, a one-year program. It gives young people, kind of 18 to 25 range, the chance to spend one year working at amazing, growing kind of startups and small businesses um, where founders, CEOs are, are working right alongside them because these tend to be five to 100-person companies. And they're really learning from doing what it takes to run a company, what the various aspects are, the finances, the marketing, the sales, et cetera. Um, just an experience you, you absolutely cannot match, especially if you're interested in being an entrepreneur. So they're doing this for a year, working in companies that most of them would be thrilled to work in after they graduate from college with a degree and hope they could get hired there. But we're saying, why wait? We'll put you there right now. You can go work and, and uh, through the Praxis program. And while they're doing that, they are doing uh, a really intensive series of monthly, we call them PDPs, professional development um, projects that they work with their Praxis advisor to create. And it's based on their own goals, the participants' goals. Our, our success is measured by 
how we help our customers achieve their goals. So it's it's very customer centric. Like we stand to gain or lose based on whether they're happy. And so they come in and maybe a, a participant would say, I want to learn Java. And so we'll work with them with our uh, resource or curriculum library, with some of the people in our network and with just our uh, coaching and, and advisors to say, okay, let's craft for the next you know month or the next two months. Here's what you're going to do an hour every day with this. We're going to help keep you accountable. We help them build a website, um, build their personal brand, kind of identify identify skills they want to gain. We really push and challenge them. And it's not about jumping through hoops and taking tests. It's really about becoming your own credential, becoming your own brand, realizing that what you do and how you can prove tangibly the value you create at, at your business partner through the curriculum uh, program, that's what's going to get you ahead, not what you have listed on a piece of paper. So it's a very intensive program. Um, it's, it's frankly, I don't think many young people are up for the level of commitment. But if you are, there is no doubt this will get you way further ahead than sitting in a classroom for four years. The net cost is zero. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing way to get out there and, and transition from being a, a student to building your own career and becoming a lifelong self-directed learner and, and entrepreneur. So Isaac, did you say that the net cost is zero for Praxis? Yeah. So the the participants pay tuition. The tuition is twelve thousand through uh, spread out in monthly payments over the course of the year. But they're earning ten dollars an hour for thirty hours a week. That's sort of the minimum at their business partner. Um, so if they just earn that minimum, um, the you know they end up earning about twelve thousand through the program. So the net cost is basically zero. I mean, if if you're moving to a new city, um, which we highly recommend because that's where usually you have some of the best experiences and challenges uh, to do it, then obviously your cost of living and, and things like that um, are going to be are going to be costs that you face. But okay, gotcha. Now, so one question I had is, do you think of Praxis as an alternative to college or a supplement to college? Yeah, I don't really. I don't really care that much about okay. what college is and does. And, and, and rather, I guess I'll put it this way. I, I don't, I think Praxis is a unique value proposition that regardless of what people see college as, regardless of whether someone thinks college is a necessary or valuable part of their own life journey, Praxis has a unique value to add to the right type of person who's interested in entrepreneurship, who's interested in doing things. So probably a third of our applicants are right out of high school and they want to do this as, um, as an alternative to college, they want to do this instead because they they, they don't think it's going to be um, as valuable to go to to go to college. About a third of them are somewhere in the middle of college and they're bored, they're unhappy, they're restless, they want to take a break or maybe never return. And usually when they do Praxis, they don't ever find the need to, to return. And then about a third of them are college graduates that are kind of like I don't I don't have any real world skills or experience still, despite this degree and and hopefully not, but often this debt. Um, I don't want to just go to grad school. I don't know what to do next. I want to, I want to engage in the real world and I'm, I don't have the ability to get um, any kind of interesting job that lets me do that. Uh, so it's kind of, it's kind of a mix. We kind of see it as a new model for education rather than, you know, uh, Hey, you can do college or you can do praxis. Like, look, well, whether or not you think college is going to be useful, um, check out praxis and see if it's something that really, you know, really appeals to you. Okay. That's a great explanation. Um, yeah, so so regardless of whether or not um, someone does college or or doesn't do college, um, it seems like the value that Praxis is adding for young people that that most colleges definitely don't seem to be offering because it it seems to me I I'm a college graduate myself. I graduated from a state college out here in California. Um, my degree was a mixture of business and engineering, um, 
but I still know plenty of classmates that I graduated with that, you know, they still struggle to find jobs. Um, a lot of the people that I graduated with, it took them, you know, years sometimes before they found a, a decent, you know, well-paying job. And, and even then, you know, you go out, you work for a company, um, you know, things can be unstable. It's not like it was, you know, 40 years ago where you went to work for the same company, yeah. you know, for, for the rest of your life. Um, so it, it, one of the things that we talk about here on the Free Cities podcast is is voluntary solutions to problems instead of government solutions to problems. And we've all seen the the cost of college education, you know, constantly rising. And there's there seems to be a variety of reasons for that. Um, one of the main reasons seems to be these, you know, debt free or sorry, not debt free, but um, these these student loans that almost anybody can get, which drive up the cost of, of college education. And then the end result is, is something that people oftentimes aren't, aren't happy with or isn't that useful to them. Um, so tell us about why it is that, that uh, Praxis seems to be succeeding and thriving, where the, the traditional college system, um, you know, whose funding is all based on the state, where, where they seem to be failing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think anytime you have a big vested, you know, cartelized industry that is their business model is based on all kinds of grants and subsidies and favors and, you know, laws that not only make the cost of college appear lower than it is and artificially reduce it with subsidized student loans and all that kind of stuff, but also artificially enhance the benefits of college. You have all these legal restrictions um, and occupational licensing, uh, minimum wage laws, um, you know, child labor laws, things that basically say until and unless you have this college degree, you can't you can't go out there and work. You can't you can't work for free, for example, for a company. You can't go and offer to work for free. Technically, that's illegal or at least very shaky ground. So so if you want to say I want to just learn on the job by working for free, uh, no, you can't, right? So and there's all kinds of places that say we you know all kinds of uh, occupations, accounting, whatever that legally require degrees. So all these things artificially enhance the value of a degree. I mean, this is not a market, a true market in higher education. So the the playing field is not level. At all, if you want to compete with that or offer an alternative, you are up against a massive, um, you know, industry that's got all kinds of special favors. But you know what? I don't, I don't even care. Like, let them have all that because those very things are going to be the things that are their undoing. It's like the post office, right? There's a reason email and FedEx and, and all these alternatives are so much better than the post office. It's because the post office has this monopoly and all these special privileges that they don't have to compete. They don't have to be sharp. They don't have to be responsive to customers, and so they aren't. And pretty soon, they become less and less relevant as alternatives are able to bypass them. So even when you have a monopoly, I mean, you see this in K through 12, even when you have a monopoly or a near monopoly, more and more people, it's so bad that people are saying, even though I'm forced to pay for this, whether I use it or not, I'm going to keep paying for it through taxes because uh, I don't want to go to jail, but I'm not even going to use it, even though it's already been paid for. I'm going to opt out anyway, and I'm going to homeschool my kids or send them to a private school. So I think that that's actually a disadvantage for uh, for universities in the long run. It makes them not nimble, not responsive to consumers. Um, and that's something that I think this is why Praxis has this, this opportunity, and so many people are so hungry for it, because the quality is going down, the price is going up, the value of that degree is diminishing. It doesn't mean anything on the job market anymore, very little. Um, and people are kind of scratching their heads and saying, okay, 
uh, I don't think dumping more money in this thing is really the answer. I think there's a fundamental assumption that needs to be questioned. And, and, and by the way, when you mention people who graduate and then they still can't find a job, I think that the, the, the problem there is revealed by the sort of still can't find a job, that sentence, because it's a mindset problem in the first place. It's not what college teaches or how it's done, or maybe it should be done online. The reason people go to college, they've got the wrong mindset. They're going because they want a guaranteed income. They want a guaranteed good job. And they've been told all their life through the schooling system, just obey rules and you'll be moved along the conveyor belt. And then you'll be spit out with a degree and someone will hand you a job and you'll just continue along the conveyor belt. Um, that maybe was kind of true for a while. It's definitely not now, thank God. But I think the mindset is the, is the problem. The reason people go to college is I want a guaranteed income. I just, just, I'll just jump through whatever hoops you tell me to. And the market doesn't work that way. The market's like we reward value creation, period. So understand how to create value. And I think that mindset shift is what makes Praxis so valuable. And, and other things like it where people step off the conveyor belt and say, I've got to become valuable. I've got to know how to create value and let people know that I can do that. And I can't look to some credential to do the heavy lifting for me. That was a long-winded answer, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That was that was perfect. And you you covered so much ground there. And I think you, you really hit the nail on the head when you said that um, – when you talked about that mindset of the reason why most people go to college, and I, I heard this all growing up, just get a degree. It doesn't matter what the degree is, you know, get a degree in basket weaving, whatever. Yeah, just there's, get there's a, no price that at which it's not worth it, right? I mean, that's right, the idea. Absolutely. Which is, yeah. which is kind of almost abusive if you think about young 16, 17, 18, 19-year-olds We've got an entire society, parents, massive financial institutions, governments, teachers, universities, who all benefit from them, whether monetarily or just psychic benefit in the case of parents, going to to purchase this $100,000 good. Um, can you imagine if, if we just told all 17-year-olds, like, hey, doesn't matter, just buy a $100,000 car. Do it, do it. Don't think about it. Don't analyze. It's always going to be good for you, right? It's almost criminal. I mean, it's kind, yeah, of, it's kind of unfair. So I, I, I get... I get the dissatisfaction. I, I don't think any governments uh, ought to pay off people's students, student loans, but I sympathize with the people who are pissed off and who are saying, wait a minute, I've got all this student loan debt and my degree is, is worthless. I've been lied to. And they really have their whole life. They've kind of been told as long as you follow the rules, you'll get that good paying job. And now all of a sudden they don't have it and they've got debt that they can't get rid of even, even through bankruptcy. And uh, yeah. they're, <laughs> they're, they're frustrated. Yeah, it's a, it's a completely inaccurate model, it seems, of the way that the world actually works. And like you you touched on it when you said, um, you know, the the world, the, the market, if you will, rewards value and rewards value creation. And how do you actually create that value? And what I'd like you to do next is just walk us through a little bit, maybe take a case study of one of your students, um, if, if you call your the people in practice students, but yeah, it's, um, it's okay. We call them participants, but we're participants. not, we're not religious okay. about it. Student <laughs> just has a, when I hear the word student, I think of sitting at a desk and that's the opposite sure. of what we're about, but, it, but it's okay. There's no, you know, no, people call them students all the time. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so if you could, uh, kind of take us through, um, so participant in your program, let's, let's say someone comes to you, you know, bright, bright young person, uh, right out of high school and, uh, you know, they, they want to learn what is the new model? How do, how do I create value? How do I, how do I live the life that I want to live? Um, 
what what do you do with that person? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I can use a I can use a concrete example of a young guy named James Walpole, a brilliant young guy, and he applied to the program right out of high school. He'd been accepted into several you know colleges. He was he was queued up to go to a, a nice liberal arts school. His parents were happy. Everyone was happy. Really good student, sharp kid. Um, but he kind of he kind of had this hankering for something a little more and a little more interesting. He was really interested in in innovation and entrepreneurship, um, but was not not a programmer, uh, didn't have, wasn't, you know, wasn't one of these, one of these kids who's at hackathons and stuff or anything, just kind of interested in a very general sense. So he applied to Praxis and he, he was so impressive. He, he had the quality that we really look for above all, which is just like, he had the commitment to self-improvement and he was taking responsibility for himself. I mean, so his, his response time to emails and his, his, you know, um, level of rigor and detail through the application process. Clearly young guy with not a lot of experience, but very bright. And so he got accepted into the program. We sent him to uh, one of our business partners, BitPay, which is a Bitcoin company in Atlanta. Um, and he went there and, and worked there through the program. And while he's you know, while he's working there, he's doing these one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions with our advisors. He's working through the whole educational experience, um, which is is very, very challenging. And you know, push push participants to um, blog every day for a month, to set up a website, to do a whole lot of different things. So he ended up having that mindset shift of there's no authorities to appeal to and to please. Like some some people, especially if they're really good students, they come to Praxis and they're like, okay, what do I do to get an A? Like there's no such thing. Like, what hoops do I jump through to win? We're like, you tell us, what is your goal? What do you want? You want a job offer by the end of the program? Do you want to have a, an online business launch? Did you want to have a business plan and meetings with donors? Do you want to have these following skills? What do you want? And we're going to help you get there. And we're going to push you and we're going to hold you to those things that you that you commit to. And we're going to help you, but it's it's going to be a challenge. And so that's really hard for really good students. They don't know what to do when they don't have a carrot dangled out there and a gold star. And, it, and they have to go through a, the first few months of the program. It's kind of a de-schooling process for many of these participants. Um, and so James kind of, once he sort of figured out, like, there's no one to please. My goals are my own. And I've got to decide what I want and commit to doing them. It kind of unleashed this creativity, this, this, what I call the permission-based mindset. He was able to shed that. I don't need anyone's permission. I don't need to become an expert or become certified first before I can do something. So he, he launched a podcast with some friends at work. He started doing some stuff on the side. He, he started learning to code. He ended up writing the copy for BitPay's new website. He, I mean, he really, he started writing everywhere. He's done, you know, he's got all kinds of articles on Medium and things that have done really, really well. And it just kind of unleashed sort of his inner creative, his inner entrepreneur that he had just kind of assumed you have to wait till you're older and you have credentials and you've just sort of followed the steps on the conveyor belt before you can do those things. And, and it, it kind of unleashed this why wait mentality. He graduated from the program. BitPay hired him on full time. He is uh, working in their marketing department now. Um, he does. Uh, he's pretty active with some some blog posts and some stuff for Praxis as well. He's a huge advocate of the program, but um, runs a podcast, as I mentioned. And he's kind of a, a I don't want to say fully because I don't think any of us are um, ever, but he's kind of a, a self-actualized human being living and creating as, a, as an adult, you know, member of the market at age 19. Um, and he kind of skipped all the all the foo-foo and all the boredom of sitting around in classrooms and, and taking orders. So um, that's that's one example of, I think, from, from someone very young, what the that's program a great is example. all about. Yeah. So, so this, so this young man went through your program and now he's, he's basically supporting himself. 
Yeah. Yep. He's, yeah. he's living in an apartment in Atlanta. He's got his own, you know, social circle. He's, he's making a, a, a good salary. He's, you know, um, and he's, and he's doing more than, than that. He's creating things on the side as well. I mean, he's, you know, he's learning a crazy amounts, um, going and doing things that would have scared him, given, given talks at events, things like that. Sure. But he, he's figured out how to, how to basically live the kind of life that, that he wants to live, how to, how to be flexible, how to learn new skills, um, and, and bring that all together to, to pursue the things that, that he wants to pursue. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it really is, is at, at its most abstract level, what Praxis is all about and why I care so deeply about it, why I, I created it is it's freedom. And freedom is more than just trying to change government policies to enable more freedom. Freedom starts on the very, very personal level. And so all these arguments and debates about what's good for society, how should higher ed look for society, is it a good deal to go to college for all 22-year-olds in the world? I mean, these are just stupid questions. They're about aggregates and averages and statistics. What matters is on the personal, individual level. Are you living the kind of life you want to live? Are you building something that you want to build? Are you creating the kind of world you want to live in? Do you feel free? Are you enjoying it in the process? Or are you suffering through something just because everyone else is and you don't know why? And that's that that habit that we want to break. And I think, you know, you can complain and argue and try to reform systems all you want. But until you realize the power of exit, just like just like the title of this podcast, Free Cities, right? I mean, you can you can complain about your city council or your HOA or whatever else, but the genuine power is to exit and create your own. And this is like free cities on the individual basis. This is like, you know, building a free city of one. Um, that's really what the mindset is. That that is awesome. And you actually perfectly set up um, the lead into my my next thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, so I, I read your blog and uh, listen to your podcast and, and love the work that you do. But you wrote my favorite blog post of yours is you wrote a blog uh, or an article titled uh, doing work you love and being happy are not necessarily the same thing. And uh, really loved this article. You have this great two by two matrix in the article. And uh, on the matrix, on the um, I'll, I'll link to it all in the show notes uh, for our listeners. But in the upper, it, it's a uh, you know four four squares all on top of each other. And uh, you know on one side of the curve is is doing work you love, yes, no. The other side is is being happy, yes, no. And uh, in the upper left hand corner, the example is the passionate founder, blissful ski instructor. You know someone who's who's totally doing what they love and. And that's the path they're going down. And then the other side is is um, is the four hour work weaker, deferred gratification grinder. And then at the bottom, uh, you have the uh, the angry adjunct uh, professor. <laughs> and then like the uh, the other side is the soul dead nine to fiver, you know, kind of lifestyle slave zombie. And um, anyway, that that uh, graph really spoke to me. It seems like a lot of us get caught up in kind of the bottom right hand corner of this um of this two by two matrix, you know, in that soul dead nine to fiver kind of a job where, like you said, we're just kind of going through the motions. Um, so I, I just wanted to, before we, before we close up this podcast, I was wondering what, what advice do you have for someone who's found themselves, you know, in that bottom right hand corner, you know, in that soul dead nine to fiver lifestyle, or even in the bottom left hand corner yeah. of the, the angry yeah, adjunct. You're, you're not artist. happy, right? Whether you're not, whether happy, not I, doing work that you think you love, uh, you're not happy. Yeah. What do you, right. what do, you do? Um, first, uh, I, I do, 
I am a sucker for a two by two matrix. I feel like all the great <laughs> truths in the world can be expressed in a two by two matrix. We just haven't figured out how yet for all of them. Um, yeah, I mean that that really is the question to me. I mean, what's what's the point of anything? It's to find happiness. Now, maybe happiness, you could you could squabble with the definition of the word. Maybe fulfillment. Uh, maybe the good life. Um, you know, what whatever you want to call it. I mean, that's that's what we're all seeking. That's the motivation for everything we do. And there's nothing bad about that. I mean, even altruism, we do it because it makes us feel good or because we have beliefs that tell us doing it will be better than not doing it. That's that's enlightened self-interest. And that's what life is about is is, is having a life that's non-boring, not full of suffering and, and, and dullness. And I think boredom to me is, is the worst of all. Um, having a good life, a fulfilling life. So so that's what it's all about. And, and that's where free, I mean, being free to do those things. So how do you find that? And I think it's the whole point of that article was to show that it's it's too simplistic to say the answer is to find a job that you think is cool and that like what you do to earn a paycheck what you do to to pay to eat and have shelter over your head that's got to be the source of your happiness it doesn't necessarily um it doesn't necessarily and and you know as as some of the examples in there there are many people I know that don't like their work, but they work just enough to get the things that they do like, and, they, and they're happy with that trade-off. But there are other people, as we mentioned, the angry adjuncts, that they would say they're doing what they love, but they're bitter every freaking day because they're like, I'm not paid enough. How come basketball players earn more than teachers? I'm doing all this good work. They're clearly not happy. And I think what's going on, I think what's going on when anytime we have that unhappiness, the real source of it is a lack of self-honesty. And I think that is really, I mean, this is, this is what philosophy is all about, the examined life, right? So identifying who we are at our core and, and really searching to know ourselves and then being honest about what we find. So that's really hard because a lot of times we want to be a certain type of person because that type of person looks cool to us. But if that's really not us, we have a hard time admitting it. So a lot of people think they want to be uh, Richard Branson or Mark Cuban or some cool, you know, maverick entrepreneur, um, but they actually don't. They actually would not be happy with that person's life. And they don't have either the self-awareness or the honesty with themselves to say, that actually would not make me happy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't think any of these lifestyles, being a garbage man is not morally inferior to being Bill Gates or vice versa. I think doing what resonates with you is the key. So how do you figure out what really makes you come alive um, and, and who you really are and stay true to that? To me, when you, when you frame it that way, like I got to find my passion, it's overwhelming. It's too daunting and it's unrealistic. And, and in many cases, because many of the things you love, you probably don't even know they exist yet, whether it's jobs or activities. So I kind of take the opposite approach, which is identify things you hate. What makes you feel dead inside? What's boring? What, what is awful? What is the stuff that just sucks to do? Stop doing those things. Make a list, mental list, a real physical list, whatever it is. You know, if it's hanging out with certain people, if it's certain types of relationships, if it's certain kinds of work that just make you dead inside, stop doing them. If it's sitting in the classroom, stop doing it. Life is too short to do things that you hate. And I think once you start eliminating those, everything else is fair game. And you'll find that there's a whole lot of stuff that's fair game that you actually find interesting and enjoyable. And so you got to just go out there and really try a lot of different things. And every time you try something and you realize, wow, this sucks, this is not for me, stop doing it, cut it out, find a way to remove as many things that make you unhappy as possible. 
and everything else you'll start to whittle down into something that's truly uniquely you and stay true to it. Staying true to who you are means removing the sources of your unhappiness at every turn. That is great advice. And uh, yeah, the, the sooner the better. Um, yeah. You know, in, in, in figuring out that life lesson. Um, now, Isaac, you write, speak, podcast on a variety of different topics, um, all of which are very interesting. But what is the idea right now that you are most excited about? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, and these things come in, come in waves because, you know, you, you've probably found this and you, you certainly will if, as you continue to, to podcast. When you create a lot of content, when you write a lot or podcast, your diet, your consumption of ideas, it's got to be massive. Like for every one idea you spit out there, you've got to be consuming three, five, 10, you know, whatever it is. So I'm always consuming a lot of different things, books, podcasts, articles. And so I'll go through phases where I'm really interested in certain ideas. Um, okay. I will give you two right now that I've, that I've really been fascinated by. One is, uh, the use of analogy and metaphor. And I'm, and I'm sort of playing around with this theory. So, so the way that I, when I come up with a new idea, I like to adopt it, assume that it's true and spend like a couple weeks saying, I am going to pretend that this theory is true and, and live as if it is and look at the world as if it is, and then see if that gets me anything valuable. I don't really care if it is true or not. I want to see what I can get from it. So right now, the theory I'm sort of adopting and playing around with is that, is that practical intelligence is best measured by people's ability to analogize. So <laughs> if you're able to make an, I mean, you find if you talk to like really successful people, they, they speak in analogies, right? Business sure. books, whatever, everything's like, oh, don't look for the silver bullet, fire a thousand lead bullets, you know, don't look for the knockout punch, be, be able to weather the punch. Everything is analogies. And I think that's a, that's a correlation. There's something indicative there about a type of mindset, a type of thinking, because all innovation is basically analogy. I mean, even, even when you take a, a very young baby, they want to they reach something on a shelf and there's, they don't know how to get it. And they've seen people step on a stool before and they've seen their little toy box before. And all of a sudden they say, my toy box is like a step. And they push it over and use it as a step. They're, they're analogizing to innovate right. and, to, and to... So I'm, I'm playing around with this idea of analogies, what they mean in thinking in analogies as kind of the key to, to um, you know, I guess, breakthroughs and, and things like that. And, that. and that's nothing unique to me. I mean, this is stuff that people have talked about a lot. But um, And then the second one is generational differences. Um, to what extent are they sure. real? Uh, to what extent are they hyped up and phony? I mean, if I hear the word millennial one more time, I might throw up. But <laughs> there's, there is truly something about people born within certain time periods that have certain shared experiences culturally that give them some, some common characteristics. Um, and you know, kind of this generation that what, what people would call millennials, what are those characteristics? But I'm really interested in like the people who are growing up now, the younger kids, um, you know, my own kids uh, would fit in this category. Like what are going to be their unique characteristics and attributes? And, and will they be less easily definable as a cohesive generation than any generation before simply because maybe in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 90s, there was like three TV stations, four radio stations. We all had shared, you know, we all listened to, you know, uh, this is how we do it in the 90s, right? Because it came <laughs> on the radio. These days, the, the the channels are so diverse and individualized. I don't know how much yeah. shared experience they'll share. So I'm, I'm really curious about that kind of uh, generational stuff. That That is interesting on the, both, both ideas are very interesting. But on the generational thing, I have this just kind of a vague theory that, um, you know, as, as time goes by, by, the generational gap seems to be getting bigger. And I kind of attribute that to um, this massive 
you know, increase that we've seen in, in technological improvements and human developments. So, you know, when I, when I look at like my, um, my great grandparents, for example, you know, who were born a hundred years ago, um, they had more in common probably with, you know, like, like Renaissance times, you know, or, or, mm. or something like that, then, then my son will have, you know, who doesn't even understand like a phone isn't something that's, you know, <laughs> that's, uh, my kids into the have wall. no it's... concept what a video rental store is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so I, I just kind of have this idea, like as, as time goes on, I think we'll see that, that, uh, generational gap just getting wider and wider just because like our shared experiences are, you know, so, so different. See, and, I've, uh, I've sort of wondered if the opposite will be true though, as well. Like okay. maybe, maybe you'll have a lot in common with people in your similar circles of interest and okay. influence, but it won't be based on age as much because when I think about like the difference between, let's say my mom and her mom, right? So there's, you know, 25 years difference. Um, that difference is far greater than the difference between my mom and let's say my son, even though there's a giant, a much bigger gap in age, you know, there's a 50 year age gap there. They actually have a lot more in common. My grandmother doesn't like understand smartphones at all. Right. She's got like a jitterbug or whatever, but my mother, my mother is sitting on the couch showing my kids YouTube videos of the whip Nene and teaching them what it is. Like, <laughs> this is weird, right? But but because yeah. of the connectivity, my my mom's on Facebook, my kids on YouTube, my they have that shared. Um, they know what memes are. They'll make you know jokes that are that are shared. Whereas even even though that the age gap is much smaller between my mom and her mother, there's none of that because of technology. So I don't know. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's definitely an interesting idea. Um, so we've been talking today with Isaac Morehouse about Praxis. Isaac, what is the best way for our listeners to follow your work? Yeah, go to discoverpraxis.com, uh, to check out the Praxis program, what it's all about. There's a blog there with a new post at least five days a week. Um, I write there once a week, the other Praxis team members, some really great stuff on education, self-directed learning and living, entrepreneurship, sort of professional stuff, whether or not you're interested in the program, great resources there. And you can also check out isaacmorehouse.com to, to follow me personally or, or check out the podcast or any of that stuff. All right. Awesome. And I'll link to all those in the show notes page. All right. Oh, sorry. Did you have something No, else? I was just going to say thanks. This has, been, this has been a blast. I feel like I've been blabbing a little bit here, but uh, too much coffee this morning, but it's been really fun. Oh, no. It, it's been awesome. We've, uh, we've had a great discussion and uh, glad to learn more about Praxis and uh, excited to, to show our listeners some other voluntary um, – voluntary solutions that are out there, you know, to, to some of the world's problems. I mean, finding, finding a, I don't want to say a career, but finding a way to support yourself yeah. and, and make a living. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges that, that any human being faces. And what you're offering is a really great voluntary free market solution that, uh, that is not being offered by, by the state or at least not being offered very well. And, uh, I, I think it's really exciting. I would love to see, um, I would love to see more options like it out there. And I think you will. I mean, if you can, if you can create value and you know who you are, you know how to do that. You will never want for income, um, or, you know, basic material needs. So I think create freedom in your own life. Everything else flows from that. All right. Awesome. And with that, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll see you next week.